Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. I am actually thrilled to be here, though. I'm here with my wife, Bethany. Why don't you stand up, wave to everybody. You can wave from your chair. And our four kids are back in the kids' ministry. We've got a picture of our family if you want to see them. I just like showing them off because they're cute. Uh, we actually came, uh, we love coming down to Antioch Austin. We were here a year ago, and after the service, my kids said, Daddy, Daddy, can we go to this church always? We had so much fun in kids' ministry. We want this to be our new church. So you serve back there. You're doing an awesome job. My kids love it. They were excited to be here this morning. And fun to jump in with you. I heard it was an awesome time this Friday evening. You guys had a powerful encounter night. So I'm, I'm just excited to get to be a part of what God's doing with this revival series and this time of prayer. Um, let, me, let me start off by praying for us, and then we'll dive into the Word. So Jesus, we're here this morning because we want to meet with you. And we lift your name up, God. And as we get into your Word and we learn about who you are, I pray that you'd speak to every single person in this room. And Lord, I ask that it wouldn't be my words, but I pray, Spirit of God, bring revelation through your word this morning, and let us all walk out of here having met with the person of Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, whenever you're a guest speaker, you normally, what happens is it's like, hey, what's this really soft, fun, warm message that's on your heart, like love or your testimony or something like that? So that's kind of what you start to expect. But then I come to Austin, and I'm actually find out my topic is authority. So, you know, thanks, J.D. All right, I chose that topic. But it is, you know, they asked me, they said, what's something something you feel like God's speaking to the church? What's something as a part of this series, if we're talking about revival as being grounded, what's something that we all need to know? And something that's been burning in my heart uh, this past year really has been, what does it mean for us to live under God's authority? And that's where we're going to go this morning. So I want to start off, I've got a little uh, question I want to ask you maybe to kick off our time. And that is when you think of the word authority or submission to authority, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Okay, so everybody just close your eyes for a second or whatever you want to do. Think of that. What's the first thought that comes to your mind? First thought. All right, you can open your eyes up. Now, I wish I could go around and like look every person in the eye and say, what did you think of? And I'm sure all of you have a story behind what came to your mind. But here's been my experience. For most of us, the answer to that question is going to be negative. There's something in our brains. When we think of this idea of authority, even when we talk about preaching on authority, there's something negative that comes into our mind. And why is that? You know, I, I think we all know intellectually that authority is a good thing. Like, we need to have authority. The world wouldn't go so well. Uh, if you're a parent, you really get this. Like, you need your kids to respect your authority for this, their own, like, life and well-being and protection. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Authority was created for us for our good. I've got some friends. They have four kids. They're in life group with us. Our kids are all about the same age. You know, the oldest is eight. The youngest is two. And they, they were telling me this story, you know, they have this backyard on the edge of Waco, and in their backyard, they've got this fence, and inside the fence, it's all taken care of and cleaned up and nice, but outside the fence, there's a ravine, there's farm equipment, there's snakes, sometimes inside the fence too, you know, so they, they've set this rule for their kids. When we let you go outside to play, you stay inside the fence. 
So one day, they, they sent their kids outside to play. And here, here's one truth. If you send four kids, most of them under the age of five outside to play, there is a 100% chance one of them is going to come in crying after like 10 minutes. Like no matter what happens, it could be everything from I fell down to I saw a bird to I heard a car. Like you just don't know, but something will trigger them crying. So as a parent, you learn to do the, oh, I'm so sorry, honey, head shake, kiss, go back outside and play. And that works like 99 times out of 100. And so they send their kids outside to play. The kid comes back in crying after like five minutes. And they're kind of doing that thing where I'm sure you're not really hurt. He wasn't bleeding. Nothing was broken. And they're kind of thinking, okay, just go back outside to play. But as our friend, as she got closer to him, she started to smell something. And what she smelled was the smell of gasoline. And he's still crying. And as she gets closer, the smell gets stronger. And here's what she found out from one of the other kids, that her son had gone outside, hopped over the fence, and they had this tiller, and underneath the tiller was a gas can. And so he went up to that gas can, and it looked really tasty. He picked it up and drank the gasoline. And so all of a sudden, she like gets up, he breathes, she smells gasoline coming out of his mouth. They rush him to the hospital, and it's like 12 hours later in the ER, thousands of dollars of medical bill, the kid's okay. But it's a great lesson on authority. So his parents gave the rule about the fence because they knew the gas can was on the outside of the fence. But this kid thought that, you know, mom and dad are holding something back from me. I got to go investigate for myself. Sound familiar? You see, authority in and of itself is something we need for our own well-being and for our own good. It's not a bad thing. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that often for us, the people in our lives that we trusted to set the boundaries for us were also the same people that hurt us. And that's where this thing starts to go sideways. The people that we trusted to tell us don't go over the fence, oftentimes the literal people, our parents, were the ones who turned around and they gave us some of our deepest scars. And that gets really confusing. And the longer you live, you start to learn the lesson that the only authority I can trust is my own. It's a survival thing that we pick up, and it's different for different people. For some of you, it was a controlling parent. It was a parent that they were overbearing with you, and that caused you a lot of pain. For other people, maybe it was a boss, it was a professor, somebody that was supposed to instruct you and help you, but they ended up sabotaging you for the sake of their own career. And for some of you, it was in the church itself. It was a pastor, a youth minister, somebody along the way who you trusted to be an authority is the very same person that hurt you. And guys, it is human nature. We're all like that. I think, I bet every single person in this room has some kind of experience like that. And it holds us back because we no longer trust the boundaries that have been set for us. And I know for some of you, that's a tremendous amount of pain. And I pray this morning is a first step of healing. And I wholeheartedly believe God wants to meet you in that place. The question of how you submit to human authority is incredibly complicated and nuanced. And unfortunately, that's not the lesson we're going with today. That's not the direction we're going, though I I wholeheartedly believe it's important. But I think there's actually a bigger question that gets lost in all of this, of what does it mean for us to submit to God's authority? You see, what we do is we get hurt somewhere along the way, we stop trusting people, and somewhere along the way, we even stop trusting God's authority, and we make it about ourselves. And ultimately, I am 100% convinced that this question right here is one of the most significant questions we face in our generation of what does it mean for us to come under and fully submit to God's authority? 
even in the midst of a life that's taught us that we should be our own. And so that's where we're going this morning as we dive into the Word of God. What does it mean for us to submit to His authority? And we're going to be looking at what I consider to be one of the most overlooked passages of Scripture, and it's the story of the temptation of Jesus. I think it's one of the climax moments of the whole Bible, and we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 4, and I believe this entire passage is all about authority. At the end of the day, who gets to call the shots? Is it me, or is it God? Is it culture? Is it something else? And how I answer that question changes everything else. Okay, so why don't you turn with me, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start with just the first two verses. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. My favorite part is verse 2 that says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> Sounds about right. Like, what else is going to happen in that scenario? <laughs> after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. But actually, these two verses are loaded with symbolism. Almost every single thing that's in these two verses ties in with one of the major themes of the Bible. And I'll break some of that down for you. When we read our Bible and as we understand our verse today, it's important for us to realize that this book right here, it's big, it's complicated. And if you're new to faith, you're starting to get into it. We heard that testimony of a guy starting in the book of John. And it can take, take a while to kind of wrap your brain around the Bible and where the stories all fit together. But I found one thing for me in my own walk with God is it's important to remember that this still tells just one story. The Bible is 66 different books, a ton of different authors, genres written over hundreds of years, but fundamentally it's one story. And like all good stories, the story has a plot, it has characters, it has a setting. And if we want to understand our own lives, if we want to understand our passage this morning, we've got to keep the big story in mind, otherwise we lose sight of what God's wanting to do. So a couple different things you'll see from this is in this story we read today in Matthew chapter 4, what we see, it's kind of like if you could picture a movie when you get the two characters together, the good guy and the bad guy, and they have a showdown. Like that's what's happening in this story. We have a clash between two different systems that are taking place in this passage. And this right here is shaping the rest of all that goes on in the Bible. And I'll get into that plot in a minute, but also it's really significant where our passage takes place. Where was Jesus? He was in the wilderness. And if you want something for your own uh, just personal Bible study, notice how many stories in the Bible take place in the wilderness. It's one of the main settings in the book of the Bible, and there's some real significance to that because contrasted to the wilderness is this other place called the garden. And if you read the Bible, you're constantly going back and forth between a garden and a wilderness, and we'll see some of that this morning. There's a few other locations, temples and cities that get thrown into the mix, but it's significant that our story takes place today in the wilderness, representing a place of barrenness, uncultivated, alone, and that's really important for what we're going to be reading. And I want to go back, before we go further in our Matthew passage, we actually need to go back and look at a parallel story in the book of Genesis. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm just going to summarize for you. But in the very beginning of the Bible, we don't find a wilderness, instead we see God creating the world, and on the first day he breathes life, or breathes light into the world, then he brings life, and then he creates on the sixth day, the pinnacle of creation, he creates mankind. And he takes mankind and he places them in a garden. And a garden, contrasted to the wilderness, the garden represents the place where everything's like it's supposed to be. 
You know, deep down in our mind, we think something's broken. We think there's something more. That's what the garden represents. It's the longing inside of all of us to be united together with God, to be at a place of peace. And that's what the garden symbolizes. And in this garden, God placed mankind and he put two trees in the garden. You have on the one hand, you have the tree of life. And on the other hand, you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the one thing God said in this garden, the fence he put around to keep the kid from the gas can was this, stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is good. That's your one deal. And I've often thought about that. I was like, why of all the things God would tell mankind not to do, why is it don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Like, shouldn't it be the, like the tree of robbing liquor stores or something like that? You know, like the tree of murder, the tree of greed. I can think of a lot worse trees than the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, doesn't that sound like something a religion is supposed to teach you, the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, shouldn't God place mankind in a garden and teach Adam the knowledge of good and evil? Like, why is he telling him, don't do that? What's going on there? And that's actually really significant because we see the answer to it when mankind first sinned, you know, like my friend's son in this story, eventually they couldn't resist the temptation. They climbed over the fence and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want to fast forward and read to you what happened. Genesis chapter three says this, the devil said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You will surely not die, the woman said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so God placed him in this garden. He put two trees in front of him. Everything's perfect. Gave him one command. Don't eat from this one tree. Mankind has said, actually, God, sorry, we are going to eat from the one tree. And they're tempted into this sin. And there's two big things that happen here. First, the way the enemy tempted Adam and Eve was to call God's character into question. Why don't we submit to authority? Because we don't trust authority. And I find for me, that's where temptation always starts. You can't trust God to have your good. That's the core temptation we all face. You're better off doing things your own way. You're better off being your own authority. God is holding back from you. If you eat that tree, it's actually going to make you better. It's going to bring you into a life. He's trying to keep you from something that's your good. You can't trust that authority. And I don't know about you, but that voice sounds pretty familiar to me because I think it's something that echoes in every single one of us. You can't trust the authority and tuck that away because we're going to see that same temptation in our story about Jesus this morning. The second part of this temptation is it's not just about eating fruit. That's not the point of this story. Apples are not sin. Like that's, they taste bad, but they're not sin. That's not what God's going after here. Instead, tucked into this passage, you see what the real temptation is about. It says, you will be like God. The core temptation, I believe the root of all sin, is our desire to be God instead of letting God be God. We want to be our own God. We want to be our own authority. The tree of life, that's me saying to Jesus, my life is yours. I'm coming under your authority. Tell me where I should go. I follow you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is saying, I actually want to be my own authority. I want to be the one on the throne. I want to be the one who has the bottom line in this relationship. I want to be the one who says whether or not I get to hop over the fence. And that's what's happening here. You can't trust God, so therefore go be your own authority. And they fell for it. And if you go on to read the rest of Genesis, 
what you find is relationship ruptured between God and man and between man and woman. What you find is you find that this beautiful creation is broken and ultimately you see death interjected into our world and you see mankind forced to leave the garden. And where did they go? Into the wilderness. We chose to become our own God. And when we choose to become our own God, we take the garden and we turn it into a desert because we were never meant to be God. And that right there, I believe, is the foundation for all the problems in our world. And maybe getting a little more personal, I think that's a feeling that every single one of us can relate to. I think every single one of us, just like we've learned the lesson somewhere along the way that you can't trust authority because authority hurts you, we've also learned the lesson that we're not a very good authority. It's that feeling we have when we wake up and we think back what we did the previous evening and it's the shame and it's the regret that settles into our heart. It's that feeling that we have when we look at relationships and we see the pain we've caused other people. You know, I could keep going, but I think we all know what it's like to leave the garden and enter into the desert. Why? Because we were never meant to be gods for ourselves, Friends, I think this is such an important message for us to go back into this topic of authority because we live in a culture today that makes this really complicated. Have you noticed in our culture today, basically the messages now are celebrating us being our own gods and our own authority. Do what feels right. Chase your dream. Live for yourself. I mean, that's what's preached at us. Every time I get online, every time I turn on the TV, it's blatantly telling me that I'm better off following my own way. Do you see the conflict with what it means to follow God? I actually just recently wrote a book on this, The Gospel According to Culture. Love for you to check it out. Goes into a little bit more depth. But I'm so concerned for myself, I'll just speak for me, how easily I feel pulled by this message to just chase after my own way of living, to be my own boss, to be my own God. It's so tempting. You know, what's interesting in our culture today is it's not anti-God. You can follow God all you want. The problem is when you start talking about God being your authority. That's where the problem takes in. In our culture today, we have reduced God to a commodity and he's no longer authority. We want God to be a spiritual service provider for our well-rounded life. And we're not afraid to give him a bad review if he doesn't do a good job. Like that's how we've reduced God. God is an add-on to us in our culture. And it's deceptive because you're allowed to worship God Nobody's going to hold back from you. You're allowed to go to church like it's all fine. It's just at the end of the day, we're taught that we're supposed to be in charge, not him. And if we start living where Jesus is in charge, that's going to be a radical shift with the direction of where our culture is going. And I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced that if we don't resolve this question, we're like the two-year-old kid climbing over the fence looking for a gas can. Because God's a good authority. God wants your good. No matter what problems we see, and believe me, I know there's a lot of them in this world. Believe me, I know there's a lot of human authority that have messed this up. I've messed this up with my own kids. But I'm still convinced that God is good. I'm still convinced that the boundaries he sets for me, the fence he set up for me, the garden he created for me is for my good and that there is life in no other place than in the person of Jesus and his will for me. And if I resolve that, then everything else comes into alignment. But if I still live thinking that I can be my own God, 
No matter how much lip service I give him, I'm going to keep going down this other path that ultimately leads me right back into the wilderness. Amen? So I want to turn this morning and I want to see, go back to the temptation of Jesus to see how does he resolve this question. So Matthew chapter 4, we're going to pick it back up. Now Jesus, his whole life is a contrast to the life of Adam. And I I hope you see this morning, as we see the temptation of Jesus, just the obvious parallel to the temptation of Adam and Eve. These two stories go together. Almost the identical story with a radically different ending. And that's our hope today. So why don't we pick it back up? Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to see three different temptations, and all three of these temptations, I believe, deal with the topic of authority. And in this first one, did you notice how the enemy is calling his character into question, if you are the son of God? It's that same whispering lie. If you are the son of God, then do this, prove yourself. I find for us and for me, this is why it's such a big deal that I spend time with God every day. I need to be anchored in my identity and I need to be anchored in his identity. And for me, one of the things I've done as a discipline is meditate on the character of God, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and meditate on my identity in Christ because I live in a world that is constantly trying to confuse that issue and there's a temptation and a tempter that's trying to whisper in my ears something different. And if I don't resolve that, if I don't see myself right, I will not answer the authority question right. I've got to know who God is, and I've got to know who I am. And notice the temptation. If you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Now, there's nothing inherently sinful about turning stones into bread. The devil is not tempting Jesus to go shoot somebody. He's saying, you're hungry. Why don't you turn the stone into bread? You're God. You have power. If you know the gospel stories, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Like, there's nothing wrong with a stone getting turned into bread. So what's the problem here? The problem is authority. The problem is authority. What the devil is trying to tell Jesus is, you've got a problem. Why don't you use your power to solve it for yourself, independent of what your father is telling you to do? Take hold of your power and go fix the problem by turning the stone into bread. Don't worry about God. Just do something. Meet your own needs. I mean, isn't this the temptation we face? Like, I don't feel very good to get it. I'm just going to go do something to make myself feel better. I'm going to go do what feels right to comfort the fact that I'm in pain right now. I mean, remember, guys, Jesus is hungry by himself in a desert. It's not like he's surrounded by food when the devil is tempting him this. I bet that bread sounded pretty appealing. I find it tragically ironic that the things this world tells us will satisfy us, the sex, the money, the greed, the drugs, whatever else it might, might be, are the major sources of addiction in our world today as well. The things we're taught will free us become our slave masters. When we start using our authority to take care of ourselves. Jesus, he tells us something so radically different. What does he say here? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, I don't care if I'm hungry. I'm going to stay in this spot and I'm going to wait for God to speak and him to lead. And if that means I'm hungry, so be it because I trust his authority that he knows best. And I refuse to take advantage. I refuse to step outside of his will to take care of myself. There's no life there. That's how he answered the temptation. Let it be for us. 
Let's get to the next temptation. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, there's that same, that same lie. He said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This one, a little bit more complicated. Let me explain what's going on. Uh, the devil is taking Jesus to Jerusalem, and at the temple, at the very high point of the temple, is overlooking a ravine. It's about a 450-foot drop. And here's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, okay, if you're the son of God, if you've got all this stuff you're going to do on the world, why don't you prove your sight, prove yourself at the site of the most public place at the center of Israel? There'd be hundreds of people gathering around, and you can jump off the temple, float down, you know, whatever that looks like, and land in full view of all of Israel, and once and for all, you will prove yourself that you have the power that you think you do. I mean, guys, this isn't bad advice. Like, really, it's like a viral marketing campaign. I'm going to listen to the guy that floats out of 450 feet in the air, okay? I mean, I just, I will. Like, if JD can pull that stunt off, then I will probably pay more attention to him than I do right now. So <laughs> that's what the devil's saying. He's saying, like, you're, your whole ministry is going to be spent with people not, not taking you seriously. Why don't you just resolve that at the beginning by pulling off this big stunt, and then you will have people's attention, it's not bad advice. And how does Jesus answer him? He says, don't put your God to the test. He's saying, that's not why I have authority. I'm not coming to earth to make a name for myself. I'm coming to follow my father. And if my father tells me to jump, I'll jump. And if he doesn't, I won't. But I'm not going to test him by putting him in a scenario where I expect him to back up my own ambition. But instead, I'm going to live like this, fully surrendered and letting him lead. I did seven years of college ministry, and I cannot tell you how many times I had people who'd want to meet with me. And they'd show up, and right out the gate, they would start basically defending why they were going to take this job or date this person or do whatever. And it almost felt like I was in a courtroom and they were laying out a case before me. And I'm like, I don't care. It's not my life, you know? I, I, you don't have to prove anything to me. Like, why you should take that job, that's fine, if that's what God's leading you. But I started getting around to the fact that the reason they were so defensive had nothing to do with me, but instead, they knew inside their own soul that they weren't fully submitted to God with this decision. And so I started tagging on there, but I think the fact that you're so defensive should tell you something about how you're processing this decision. You're free. Between me and you, you follow God as best you know. That's not my decision, that's you. But... The fact that you're having to rationalize it so much tells me something, that maybe, maybe this isn't something where you're fully submitted to Jesus and his authority in your life. And I have to ask myself this question because there's a lot of times stuff comes along and it can feel really exciting and really good, but at the end of the day, am I fully submitted to him? And here's what's scary about this. You're the only one who knows the answer to that question. Two different people could take the same job. For one of them, it's the right decision. For the other one, it's not. Two different people could move to the same city. For one, that's the leadership and the will of the Lord. For the other, it's not. I don't know the answer from the outside. All I can do is say, Jesus, am I submitted to you fully in this decision? And guys, this is where I want to get to with anything in life, whether it looks good or not, whether it's a big risk or whether it's mundane. Can I, before God, with full integrity, say, God, as best I know, I'm 100% submitted to you right now? 
because that's my place of safety. Let's get to our last temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. You know, this last one is where it just fully exposed. Bypass the suffering of the cross. Bend your knee to me and you get all the authority that you want. You can still be king. You can still be the one who's in control. As long as you bow your down your knee to me, I will give you what you want without the suffering. And friends, today we live in a world where it's so easy for us to bend our knee. There's so many messages our culture sends us. It's so easy. All I have to do is just accommodate a little bit. All I have to do is just back off a little bit my declaration that Jesus is Lord and that by him alone is salvation found. All I have to do is back off a little bit by saying that his word is my guide no matter what it says, no matter how much it conflicts with my world around me. All I have to do is modify my beliefs a little bit and our culture will welcome me with open arms. But as long as I hold Jesus to be my authority, my road's gonna get a little bit more lonely. And this is the question in my own soul today. Will I have the courage to stand up strong and say, away from me, Satan, I worship God alone? Or will I be tempted to bend my knee to the culture of this world? Will I be tempted to bend my knee to my own feelings? And I think we live in an age where we need to re-up in our spirit again and say, Jesus, even when I don't understand, even when there's been pain, even when the world's not going like I want it to, I still trust you. I still put you on the throne of my heart. I still say yes to you. And I'm committed to following you wherever you lead me, wherever that means, whatever it looks like, I'm in. And it goes back to where we started. It's a question of trust. Do I trust him to lead me, to be my authority, or do I still buy into the lie that I can trust myself? I know myself. I'm not a good God. I'm not a good authority. But he sure is. How I want us to respond this morning, and really this whole week, is I want to challenge you. Create some space this week to get some time in prayer and ask the question, God, am I fully submitted to your authority? Am I all in? And let him speak. And I know that might be a new experience for some of you. What I'd encourage is to put on some worship music, get a little journal out, and just write whatever comes to mind. And then I want to challenge you to take that. And I want you to take that to somebody in your life group or a trusted friend and just start talking about what are, the, what are the places where you feel the tension of fully submitting to God versus following your own authority. And I trust that as we go through this process, God's going to start to reveal to us what does it mean to be all in, fully submitted 100% to Him. Let me end with this. Jesus refused to follow the devil's authority, and he refused to take up his own authority independent of his father. And for the next three years, he lived a really hard life. And if we could fast forward to when Jesus was hanging on a cross, he refused to turn stones into bread. And so he ended up on a cross once again outside the city, hungry and thirsty. Jesus refused to make a name for himself at the temple. So at the temple, he was condemned to die. And Jesus refused to bend his knee to the powers of this world. And so the powers of this world had him executed as a traitor. 
And if the gospel message ended on Good Friday, I think I might ask the question, can I really trust God's authority? Because Jesus died on a Friday afternoon. Remember that story of creation? It was on a Friday afternoon, the sixth day, that God created mankind and breathed life into every one of us. And it was also on the sixth day that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, breathed his last and died. But that's not where the story ends. Because three days later, on the first day, representing a new week, light shot through the darkness again, and Jesus stepped out of the tomb. And when he stepped out of the tomb, he had conquered sin, death, and hell. Jesus stepped out of the tomb, and where was he? He was in a garden because he was making a way for us to come out of the wilderness, back into the garden, back into what God had for us, and that's who we're meant to be. That's the life we have. That's our destiny. Stop living for these false authorities. Stop living by my own authority and saying, Jesus, you conquered all. You made a way for me. And I today am free. Let's stand up. I'm going to just pray for us and turn it over to JD and the team. Jesus, we submit to your authority this morning. Joyfully. Joyfully. Lord, I confess the places in my life where I thought my own way was going to lead me into peace, but instead it led me into places of pain and suffering. And God, thank you that you didn't leave me in that state. But Jesus, you conquered. You conquered that same temptation. You made a way for me. And today I live in the life of God. And I pray that over every single one of us in this room this morning that you would show us, you reveal to our hearts what it means to come under your authority and to walk into your life. In Jesus' name.